0: Good morning. Yeah, I hope that this has been a blessing to you as we remember all the things that God's done for us. It's important for us to sing songs like that and uh, to just be reminded of the fact that uh, God's goodness in our life and where he's brought us. Uh, today we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24. I hope you'll turn in your Bibles there. And... Um, I want to just start off by giving, (laughs) you never, it's never good when a pastor starts off by putting a warning before he begins to preach, but that's exactly what I'm going to do this morning. Um, This probably isn't a topic that I would have normally picked for us to cover on a Sunday when we've experienced what we have this past week, but I find that uh, it's amazing how when you begin to pray, pray and you prepare that God can actually line things up that are even unintentional And God lines them up uh, in a way that maybe I would have never even thought about before. And um, that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. But can I encourage you this week to be praying as a church? Uh, These are very unique times that we're going through. And what we want to do as a church body is we begin to make plans. We begin to uh, forecast what's happening and look at ways that we can still minister to you as a body. And so this week we uh, have already begun to uh, plan and prepare to buy video equipment to, so we can do live streaming. For those uh, in the coming weeks, we don't know exactly what's going to happen Uh, with our society, whether there's going to be quarantining or whether more people will be staying home, but we want to provide an opportunity for our church people to be able to still stay engaged with us online. So I hope that you'll be preparing and and praying for us as a church body as we're going into this time, but we want to be able to have uh, uh, services still uh, that you would still be able to access even from your own home. And so be praying for us as we're looking into doing all of that. Uh, All of that being said, let's look into 1 Samuel 24, and uh, I've entitled this How to Behave in a Cave. And what we're looking at is this, is uh, we've started this brand new uh, sermon series that we've entitled Mirror Image. And we're talking about the fact that in our society, we have placed more of an emphasis on our outer uh, reputation than we have on our inner character. Have you noticed that? We care more about what we appear to be like than what we actually are on the inside. And so what we've been doing over these past few weeks is that we've been getting into God's word and saying what is it that God would want to change on the inside of us to help us be men and women of character in the society that we live in. I was reading a story about a lawyer that ran a stop sign and he got pulled over by a sheriff, and he thought that he was smarter than him because he was a big-shot lawyer from New York, and this, uh, this sheriff was just a, a police officer from Tennessee. And so what he did was the sheriff asked for this lawyer's license and registration, and the lawyer said, well, what for? The lawyer said, sir, you, you didn't completely come to a stop at the stop sign. The lawyer said, well, I slowed down. There was nobody coming, and Police officer stopped him one more time and he said, sir, you didn't come to a complete stop. I need your license and I need your registration. Well, the lawyer continued to argue with him. He said, if you can show me the legal difference between slowing down and stopping, then I'll give you my license, my registration, and you can give me a ticket. But if not, then you got to let me go home. The police officer said, fine, that's, that, that's a good deal. Then why don't you go ahead and step out from your car? And the man stepped out, and the police officer, he grabbed his nightstick and began to beat the man, and he said, do you want me to stop or slow down? <laughs> when I was thinking about that, you know, disrespect and rebellion against authority, it's at, a, at an all-time high as a society. Would you agree with that? We, uh, we can see it throughout our society. We see where citizens disrespect police officers, the ones that have been charged with protecting them. Uh, we see it in, even in the classroom where teachers are now allowed to be disrespected by their students. We see it where uh, even when employees talk bad about their bosses. It's seen in the home where children are allowed to disobey their parents and dishonor their their mother and their father. It's seen uh, uh, all over our society where people no longer are respectful to those that have been placed in positions of authority. Um, uh, we, We even see it where people are disrespectful of God, his word. They no longer believe in absolute truth, where God's authority is being disrespected. We have, as one person said, an R-E-S-P-E-C-T problem, right? I'm not going to sing that song for you guys. I won't put you through that. But the problem is, is that uh, according to statistics, three-fourths of Americans, they believe that manners are being deteriorated in our society. People are no longer polite. Have you noticed that this past week? I mean, you go to shop and uh, there's a run on toilet paper. Don't exactly understand all of that. But the fact is, is that people, uh, they're impatient. Uh, The way that they talk to people is disrespectful. We're living in a society where there is a spirit of rebellion. Would you agree with that? Any, Any sign of anybody having authority over someone else, people naturally want to do what? They push back against that. And the fact is, is that us as believers are not called to live our life that way. God has called us to be people, uh, men and women with character that respect authority that God has placed over us. And I, I've had people ask me this week, well, Ryan, what's going to happen in the coming weeks if, if they begin to quarantine us as a government? Well, we're going to obey what the government puts in place. They're not trying to limit our freedom as believers to be able to worship God. What they're trying to do is enforce law and order in order to protect us. And God has put government in place to do what? To protect society, all right? In a given case, God has placed them in that position. So what will we do? We'll obey the authorities. God's put them over us, and we should listen. But what I want us to do is we're going to be looking at the fact that God wants us to be a group of people that respect others that are put in positions of authority. I find that that's very interesting considering the day and age that we're living in. Uh, There's talks of uh, all kinds of things that could happen as fallout from what's going on in our current situation with the coronavirus. And I've found that it's important for us as believers to learn to the principle of before we can be put in places of authority, we need to learn, first learn to place ourselves under authority. At least that's what people of character do. Now, the definition of respect is this. Uh, the, I, the word respect comes from a Latin word that means to look back at or to look again. It's the idea of holding someone in their proper regard. So when we come to this uh, idea of respect, there's nowhere where that definition is put on more display than an incident that took place thousands of years ago between a man named Saul, who was the king of Israel, and a man named David, who was going to be the next king. Uh, what was happening was that uh, David had defeated Goliath. He, when he defeated Goliath, they had, in, in fact, had defeated the Philistines. And David instantly went from a nobody to a somebody. He went all the way from nobody knew him to being the MVP of the Israeli army. And they began to sing his praises. Well, the problem with that was that King Saul began to get extremely jealous of the fact that this new guy, this young boy named David, was now put in the limelight. What began to happen is David's star was rising. Saul's sun was, began to set And what happened was his jealousy was spurned on in the heart of Saul, and he began to be hateful towards David, and David began to be public enemy number one. So Saul began to hunt David down, for most believe, a period of about seven years David would be on the run from this king that was in authority. And what we see in this passage is that it's a great lesson of what respect looks like in difficult circumstances. You see, David uh, was in a position where when most would have uh, been expected for him to defend himself, most would expect him to rebel. And David is going to model a principle for us that is important. The fact is, is that God puts people in their place of authority. And God has called his people to place themselves willingly underneath the authority that God has put in place. You're like, Ryan, uh, I, I don't know that if I believe that. Well, I want to show you, biblically speaking, from God's word, why that's a principle. We need to be taught the fact that God puts everyone in their position of authority for our good, right? We believe that. We're going to look at that principle. But what I want you to see today is this. Perhaps David's David's greatest victory that he had ever won wasn't over some other enemy, but maybe his greatest victory was over himself, when he willingly placed himself underneath the authority of King Saul, even when it was difficult. Now, you're like, Ryan, why is this a big deal? In our day and age where there's a spirit of rebellion and where there's a complete disrespect for those in authority, how does God call his people to live in those times? Do you believe that there could be potential problems here in the future in our country? We have an election coming up. We have this coronavirus. People are losing their minds, right? And the problem is, is that we need to have a proper understanding of why God puts authority in place. And how do God, how's God's people supposed to respond to those people that God has put in authority over them? I want you to notice that there's three lessons that we learn here. And, and can I say this? It's important for us to teach our children why authority is put in place. We're living in a time where kids are more disrespectful than they've ever been. Did you? I, I was reading this in the other day, and I I think it's totally true. We got several teachers here. I, I don't. You might be saying Amen back here. Now I read that roughly three fourths of teachers have at least considered or know of another teacher that has considered quitting their job because of the disrespect of children towards their teachers. Why is it that uh, children have grown increasingly disrespectful of people in position of authority? Well, it means either A, their their parents haven't taught them, or their parents haven't modeled it for them, and their parents have never taught them, biblically speaking, what God's word has to say about it. I think it's important for us uh, as a church body to recognize how many of you would be willing to raise your hand and say, Ryan, I see that as a problem in our country. Come on. Every single, like nearly every hand except for the children in here and teenagers, their hands are raised. And the fact is, is that all of us need this, folks. We have to teach our children the fact that God puts people in their position of authority. And we ought to expect that from our children. We ought to enforce that from our children. We ought to teach them biblically what the Bible teaches about authority. And this is an important topic for us this morning. Notice, first of all, the respect, uh, respect the principle of authority. Look at what the Bible says, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse number 1 and 2. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Now what had happened was is that Saul had been going after David for many years at this point he was unsuccessful. He was never able to track him down. It was like a cat and mouse game. You guys ever remember watching Tom and Jerry? All right, it was like that. Like he would always come close, but he would, he would get out from underneath of him before he could catch him. And David, uh, what happened was is that Saul had heard that David was in the wilderness of Engedi, And David roughly had about 600 men that were in hideout with him. In that wilderness, and Saul hears about it, and he takes three thousand of his elite soldiers, his special forces, and he sets out after David in an attempt to be able to kill him, to be able to pin him in in the wilderness. Now, you guys are like, well, uh, where is this wilderness of En Gedi? Well, it's directly east from the Dead Sea. It's southeast from from uh, Jerusalem. And what you would find is that at En Gedi, En Gedi is like a um, It's an oasis in the desert. Uh, I I can remember that we went, uh, the church staff, we went to Israel. And this is a beautiful location. I mean, it's got lush vegetation. There's palm trees. There's springs. There's waterfalls that are coming off the rocks. And it's limestone. And all across the limestone there in the, the mountainside, there's all kinds of caves that would have been great locations for anybody to be able to hide out. It would have been a great spot for David to hide 600 men inside of a cave. And so at this location, it sits high so that you could look down over where the Dead Sea is at. And so if Saul was coming with his men, David would easily have been able to see that they were coming and they would have been able to to hide very quickly. So David goes to a perfect spot for them to be able to hide out. How do you know it was perfect? Well, I can tell you by experience. I can remember us as a church staff while we were there. Uh, we were there and, and Craig was walking around. And I can remember that there's all of these huge boulders and rocks and Josh Berkey. Uh, go figure, it has to be a youth pastor that does something like this. He hides behind a rock and as Craig is walking by, he jumps out and literally scares the mess out of Craig. I thought he was going to fall down and roll down the hill. But he was able to, I mean, just scared the living daylights out of him. There's rocks, boulders everywhere. It's a perfect hiding spot, folks. Folks. And so David's, uh, he's hanging out there. And what happens is, is that while Saul's looking for David, nature begins to call. And folks, you know, when nature's on the line, you got to pick up. And so what happens, look at what happens in verse three. Many of you guys know what I'm talking about. Look at what he says in verse three. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. I love the King James version here. All right, where it it, kind of hides it a little bit, but where it says that Saul went in to cover his feet, that's putting it mildly. There's a reason why they put it that way. You see, for Jewish men, they would have this inner loincloth, all right, that they would literally, when they would get in, we're not gonna get graphic here, but you get into the the squatting position, they would drop that inner loincloth and it would cover their feet. It was an expression that they used to say that the guy was going number two, all right? He was doing his business. And so the, the, the funny part about this story that I love is here's Saul. He's inside the cave, and he's doing his business, and he thinks he's by himself, but there's 600 pairs of eyes that are watching him. <laughs> You're like, man, what... What in the, uh, can you imagine the stories that David's men would have told? You remember that time when Saul, you know, kind of did his business in the cave and we were watching him? I mean, that's exactly what they would have been whispering, they would have been laughing. I guarantee you that was going on. Well, what, what is it that, that, that they were saying? Oh man, there, there could be so many jokes that you could say there. You're like, well, why would, David, why would King Saul be by himself? These are interesting facts that y'all might not care about, but uh, this is so good for you to hear is that in the book of Deuteronomy, they were actually taught that uh, when you were going to do your business, you had to leave the military camp and go outside of it. If you were to look in your Bibles, Deuteronomy 23, don't look there. I know all of you want to desperately right now, but they were trained that when they had to do their business, they would leave camp. They were to go off away from it. They were to dig a hole, do their business, and then they were to cover it up. And the reason why is that God walks in your camp. (laughs) I'm serious. Go check it out. You can look it out for yourself. And so what happens was is that here is Saul. He's doing his business. And these guys are whispering, probably laughing in the background, okay, like any human being would do. And so what happened? What did they say? Well, look at verse 4. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto you, Behold, I'll deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good unto you. So the guys look at the situation, and what do they tell David? David, this is your opportunity. He's indisposed. Uh, He's really busy. Uh, He's there with his magazine and his air freshener. Now's the time to do it. Sorry, I added that in. And then uh, what happens is, is that they're saying, now's your chance. You can become king. If you'll take him out now, now's your opportunity. What are the chances that he would have came to our cave? It's very clear that God has delivered this man into your hands. Find it interesting that in the middle of all of this, it would have been very funny time, a funny situation, but David moves in and he does something that would have been funny to him at the time. Look at what it says at the end of verse 4. Then David arose and he cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. Now, you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, when Saul would have stood up, he would have had, now would have had a miniskirt. No, I'm just joking. He just probably cut off a hem of his robe, okay, maybe just a portion of it. And you're like, well, what's the big deal behind that? The hem of the robe many times was a sign of, uh, in their culture, when someone would bow down to a king, they would grab the hem of the robe. It was a sign of their loyalty, Perhaps when David cut off a portion of that robe, it could have been taken as like, I'm no longer loyal to you any longer. You're not my king. Immediately when David cut it, he immediately felt guilty over what he had done. He had shown a lack of respect for a person that God had placed over him. The person that God had placed as king of Israel, he had now disrespected And that he began to feel guilty inside of his heart. Look at what it says there down in uh, uh, verse number 6. And he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. Let's go back to verse 5, sorry. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart, what? It smote him. Because he had cut off Saul's uh, Saul's skirt, he immediately felt the guilt that came inside of his heart, knowing that he had touched the one that God had anointed as king. You can see the principle that David points to in verse number six. Look at what he says. And he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. What does the word master mean? My boss. The Lord's anointed, the one that God's put in that position. To stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. Do you see that he keeps repeating those phrases? He's the Lord's anointed. He's my boss. He's my Lord. What does he mean by all of that? David had understood a principle that when God puts a person in position, it is our responsibility to be respectful of a person that holds that position. It's a principle. What's the principle, Ryan? Ryan? God puts people in position of authority so that there's law, there's rule, there's order. Without authority, what would our country be like? It would be total anarchy where everybody can do whatever they want. There would be no rule of order. People could do whatever is right in their own eyes. And David recognized the fact that God had put this man in his position. And so notice what he says in verse number seven. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. So what did David do? He recognized that he was wrong and he told the other guys. He said, guys, hold on a second. Like, I know everything that's happened inside the cave here. It's been really funny. But listen, we don't need to attack him. Now, do you think his men were angry at him? David's 600 men had been on the run from Saul for many years, and they were probably frustrated with David. David, this was our opportunity to take out revenge on him. But David understood, he respected the principle of authority. He understood that, uh, that what is right is not what we think is right. It's not what others think is right. It's what God says is right. Right? For too long, we allow society to tell us it's okay to push back against authority. It's what everybody else does. Thank God that David was a man of character that took his stand. Think about David's situation. He had 600 of his men that were with him that said, David, God put him into your hand. Let's take him out. But one man was willing to stand up and say, guys, I've gone too far. I've cut off the hem of his robe. I was the one that was wrong. Heaven forbid that I should stretch out my hand against God's anointed. You see, one man was willing to stand against 600 others that were telling him otherwise. We can't go based off of the majority. We never base what we do off of the majority or else we would always, what? We would be in the wrong with the majority, You're like, well, what's the principle? Well, the Bible teaches, unless you begin to think, well, Ryan, that's so old-fashioned. You think that we should have this principle of respect for authority? Yes. Is it in the New Testament? Yes. Look at Romans chapter 13. I want to point out a few verses to you, lest you think this is something I'm pulling out of the Old Testament only. Romans chapter 13, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of who? Meaning that all power originates with who? God. The powers that be are ordained of who? God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of who? God. And they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. Now notice down in verse 4. For he is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid. For he that beareth the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon that, uh, him that doth evil. Now notice what, what Paul is saying in the book of Romans. He says, subject yourself unto those that are in authority. Look back at the verse number one, if you can put it on the screen. Let every soul be subject. That idea there is, is a soldier that is obeying and is in obedience to his superior. Paul is saying that like a soldier obeys the command of, his, his, uh, of one that has a superior rank, you need to be in obedience to those that God has put into order into authority over you. Why? God's the one that put him there. And when you rebel against that authority, who are you rebelling against? God. Not only that, but he says in verse 4, they're there to be a minister for our good. Why is that? They're there to punish evildoers. That's what the government's been put in place with. Now, here's the thing. God has established four institutions for us that he's placed in positions of authority. For instance, first of all, is government that God has put over who? Citizens. God has also established the church that he's put in authority over who? Believers. God has also established parents that are in authority over who? Their children. God has also established bosses that are in uh, authority over who? Their employees. When one rebels against these positions of authority, what is it? You're rebelling against God. Now, the main passage here in Romans 13 is referring to government, okay? Okay? So when Paul was living in Israel and King Saul is pursuing him and he begins to cut off his robe, what, what, Paul, what what happened with David was this. David recognized that he was a man that was living where? In Israel, meaning that he was underneath the authority of who? He was underneath the authority of who? He was underneath Saul's authority. You are a man living in a kingdom where a king is the one that has been placed in his position. And David immediately felt the guilt, the sting. But I want you to go back to verse seven and notice something with me. Look at verse seven. Notice it says, and so David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. Notice that it says that David did what? He stayed his servants. I want you to circle that word, stayed. That word has the idea of rebuking, of tearing into, of forbidding. What it means is that David's 600 men wanted to take Saul out. And so David stood up and he forbid them to do it. Why? There's times where the majority don't understand the proper uh, understanding of the principle of authority. Why is it we live in a day and age where kids are disrespectful to their teachers? Nobody taught them. Nobody stayed them. No one rebuked them. Why is it that we have people that will speak out against people in authority and be disrespectful to them? Nobody taught them. Nobody rebuked them. Nobody said anything to them. Why is it that children no longer will listen to their parents? Have you ever walked around a store before? And you ever seen the way that kids will talk to their parents? Why is it that they're willing to do that? Nobody stayed them. Nobody rebuked them. Nobody spoke out against it. You know what David is modeling for us? David is telling his men that there is a principle that has to be put in place. David was a man of character that respected the principle of authority. You want to, the very first time I remember this, learning this principle, I'm going to tell you about my experience. How many of you remember back in the days when you went to school, you're sitting in your lunchroom and the kids at the lunch table would challenge you and tell you that, hey, you ought to try doing this. Only the stupid ones would listen and I happened to be one of them. I can remember in elementary school, I'm eating my lunch and the kids said, Ryan, you know the, the principal's name, his name is Herbie. And I don't know why that was so funny to me as just a little kid. But the kids were like, "Hey, the principal comes to the lunchroom every day, same time. Ryan, why don't you speak up and just why don't you call him Herbie?" And man, I I was like, you know, man, that would be. I always thought of the love bug, you know, Herbie. And man, so I was like, you know, here comes the principal. He's walking in, and I said, "Hey, Herbie, how's it going?" And man, I I was only like in first grade, but I can remember like thinking, man, that was so much funnier in my head when I was thinking about it. And like immediately the principal stopped and turned and looked. And when he looked at my table, my friends, what was even worse, they threw me under the bus. They all pointed at me like unanimously. It was him. And man, the the principal pulled me over and he sent me home with a note. And man, when I got home, all I know is that my parents, they taught me the, uh, the principle of respecting those in authority. It was the last time that it ever happened. My point, folks, is that we have to respect the principle of authority. Folks, apart from authority... There's total anarchy. There's no law. There's no order. God has put them in place for a reason. Teach your children. Hey, folks, also you can model it for them. Now also, notice the second thing. First of all, respect the principle of authority. Second of all, respect the position of authority. David began to feel guilty. Now we're going back into the story. And remember, he had just cut off a portion of his robe, what happens here is that he felt guilty for it. Now, look down at verse 8. And so David also arose afterwards and went out of the cave, and he cried after Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. I want you to notice what David called him. How did he reference the king? He called him my lord, the king. He recognized that Saul was still the king no matter what he did. Let me ask you a question. Was King Saul a good man? He wasn't. Had Saul been in the wrong by throwing javelins at him? Hey, listen, if you got a king that's throwing javelins at you, not a great guy. And so he tried to kill him on multiple occasions. He barely escaped with his life. Was Saul always in the right? No, but he was still king. And so here's David. He's feeling guilty. David, when he's showing respect to the king, he's not showing respect to the person. He's showing respect to what? The position. That is something that has totally been lost in our society. You watch the news, see how they talk about a president. And I'm just as guilty as the next person. But what happens here is that David is showing respect to a person that wasn't a good person. But he was still respectful because of why? His position. Hey, will your parents always do everything right, children? No, they're still your parents. Will your teachers always do everything right? No, but they're still your teacher. Will people, will government always do what's right? Absolutely not. they have still been put in a position of authority. Don't confuse respecting the position that a person holds with the person that holds the position. They're totally different. We don't show respect to them because of the person they are, but because of the position that they hold. I can remember the story about uh, John F. Kennedy when he was inaugurated as president. His inner circle, they decided that they were going to have this celebration in his honor to remember, you know, the fact that he just won the presidency. And there inside their room as they were partying, they began, they, they, all of them were calling him Jack. Way to go, Jack. Congratulations, you just won. And, and, and it was all happened until his brother Bobby came into the room. And when Bobby came in and he noticed that everybody was nonchalantly calling him Jack, he looked at the inner circle and he said, congratulations, Mr. President. As a person, JFK was his brother, but in his position, he was the president. And so Bobby chose to show respect for him out of his position that he held. You might be here today and you say, Ryan, showing respect to people because of their position, that's that's cultural, that's only something you guys you do in the south. Actually, as a matter of fact, if you look at this passage, I want you to notice with me. Notice what, how David talks to Saul. I want to point it out to you. Look at your passage. Down in verse 6, he calls him my master. Down in verses 6 and 10, he calls him the Lord's anointed. Down in verses 8 and 10, he calls him my Lord, lowercase l. Lowercase l. Then in verses 8 and 14, he calls him the king. Then in verse 14, he calls him my father. You can respect a person's position even if you don't respect the person that occupies it. There is not a person in this room that wouldn't raise their hand and say, has there ever been a time where you've been disrespectful to someone in authority? All of us are guilty, right? You don't believe that? I, I, I know it's true. All right, now... What you have? uh, I remember hearing a story about Andre Dawson. I love baseball. Andre Dawson, man, he he was one of the great players in in baseball. Well, one time he got into an argument with umpire Joe West. If you know that name, many people have had arguments with Joe West. Well, when he had an argument with him, the league ended up fining him a thousand dollars. And down in the memo section, when he wrote out the check for $1,000, he wrote this. I thought it was hilarious. He said, donation for the blind. (laughs) Donation for the blind. You know, there's so many times where we, even as God's people, show disrespect towards people that God has placed in a position of authority. Folks, that is a lack of character that we need to have. We need to have more character that will uh, actually be respectful to those that God has put in positions of authority in our life. Notice what David does. Look down at verse 10. Behold this day, thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered you into my, uh, today, into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me to kill you, but mine eye spared you. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. David said, I am going to be a person that's not gonna lift up my hand against you. He spoke to him with humility. You wanna look down at verse number 14. This is what he says. After whom is the king of Israel coming out? This is David talking to Saul. And he says, after whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea? Hey, in their days, if you called somebody a dead dog, those were fighting words. And David's looking at Saul and he's saying, why are you pursuing me? I'm a dead dog. I'm not just a dead dog. I'm a flea. David humbled himself before a person that had a a position and he deserved to have his respect. Because there was going to be a day when David was going to rise up and he would be king. And he would expect people to show him respect for the position he held. I can remember... Times where I haven't always done the best with this. How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket and you were really upset by it? Okay, You guys are liars. All right, And so uh, I, I live up in White House and uh, Millersville. I'm going to try to just be really nice here and, and be very veiled because I'm talking about showing respect to people in position of authority. It's a speed trap. Um, but uh, then I was going down uh, the, the ridge. And I can remember that uh, everything was backing up on 31W. And immediately uh, I decided I was going to go another way to, to church. And so I went uh, split off uh, where uh, I didn't, there weren't many cars going down that way. And so uh, what I didn't recognize, Millersville has a police truck that is totally unmarked, and I got to meet him. And so uh, when I was going down that road, my kids instantly, Dad, what did you do? They, they see the lights that are, yeah, thanks, kids. You keep, it's like, what did you do, Dad? Like, did you, were you wrong? Did, what were you, how fast were you going? And, like, my kids are, like, like, pestering me, like, with all these questions. And, 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 and the police officer comes up. I wasn't really happy with where he was hiding, but that, that's another story. And so my kids are, like, uh, they, the police officer comes around, comes to my window, and, and I begin to speak to him. And I said, yes, sir. And, and he goes through the deal. Do you know what you did? Yes, sir, I was speeding. And he goes through all of this. And remember when I was pulling off, my kids asked me the question, Dad, were you in the wrong? I was. Dad, are are you upset with that guy? I don't have a reason to be. And what they began to do is they began to, they could tell that I was frustrated And I could remember just thinking in the back of my mind, you know, this is a teachable moment to tell them, you need to learn to respect people that are in a position of authority. I was upset and I instantly began to change my demeanor so that I could teach them the lesson that we need to show respect to people that God has put in a position of authority. They need to learn that lesson. And most of all, I got to model it for them. You know what David did when he spoke respectfully to King Saul? He was modeling it for his 600 men that were following him. When David would rise to a position of authority, they would remember the day when even King David respectfully and humbly talked to King Saul and modeled respect in front of everybody. So not only do we need to respect the principle of authority, but we also need to respect the position of authority. But lastly, we respect the power that's behind authority. And this is the last thing that we'll look at. Why was it that David would speak so respectfully about King Saul? Do you think David loved King Saul? I think he struggled with him. I believe that personally David didn't bow to the king on a throne, but he was bowing to the fact that God that put the king on the throne. Are you following me? All the power that King Saul had came from who? God. That meant that God was going to work out his will through who? Who? through King Saul. Now what I want to do this morning and and pay careful attention to this part because I want to connect the dots. David respected the fact that God was ultimately the one that was going to work out his will no matter what happened, right? Is God sovereign? Does he still sit on the throne of heaven? Yes. David's hope didn't rest in a king that sat on a throne named Saul. David's hope rested on who? On God. Can I tell you that with everything that's going on in our country, our hope doesn't rest in what the President of the United States does. It doesn't rest in in what's going to happen with this test or that test or or how the quarantine's going to work out. Folks, what really matters at the end of the day is the fact that God still sits on the throne. He's the one that sits higher than everybody else. He still rules. He has his feet propped up in heaven. We have absolutely nothing to worry about. We live in confidence that God is in control. And the reason we show respect to those in authority is why? Well, God still sits on the throne. He can overrule even what a pagan king would want to do. You see that throughout the Bible. Now notice what happens in verse 15. The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and you and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. Now, this is David talking to King Saul, and what is he saying? David, or he's saying, Saul, you are the king, but you are not what? God. You're not the judge. He's saying, may God be the judge between you and me. What does he mean by that? Even if King Saul would have overridden and he would have done something wrong, who's the one that's ultimately going to judge who's right and who's wrong? God. Did you know the ones that sit in position of authority, they are the ones that will give an account before God for what they do with those that are under their authority? David is modeling the fact that he could show respect to this king. Why? Because there was a God that sits on the throne of heaven that's going to be the judge of all men, no matter who they are. So notice what he does here. As a result of the way that David responded to the king, what I love about this passage is that King Saul is going to see the character that David has in this middle of this difficult situation. I want you to notice it. David was a man of character after God's own heart. David had learned to place himself under authority. And he modeled what it looks like to be a person of character. I want you to notice what, I want you to notice what David's enemy said about him. Now look at what it says here in this passage, verses 16 to 20. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And I want you to notice the words that he said. Now remember, this is is David's enemy, what what Saul is going to say about David. He says, and he said to David, thou art more righteous than I. For thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Notice what else he says. And thou hast showed this day how thou hast dealt well before me. For as much as when the Lord had delivered me unto thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee for the good for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. What was David's testimony like before his enemy? When when King Saul saw the way that David responded in the situation, he looked at him and he said, you did good to me when I was doing evil to you. He's saying, you're a man of character. You see, David's uh, his his kingship was established on, on character. David was a mighty warrior, but his greatest victory was over who? Himself. When Saul was looking and reflecting at the situation that had unfolded here, Saul looks at it and he says, I know that now you are ready to be the next king. Because you were a man of character and God's going to establish your kingship because of the way that you responded to me. Even when he was done wrong, what did he do? He responded and he chose to do what was right. You're like, well, Ryan, what's the big deal behind this whole thing of submitting to those in authority and showing respect to them? What's the big deal behind it? Can I tell you uh, this morning that it's exactly the the humility and the surrender that Jesus Christ showed on the day before he was going to be crucified? Did you know that Jesus Christ modeled that in the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying. You remember the words that he spoke in Luke chapter 22, verse 42? He says this, Father, If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but what? But thine be done. Lord, don't let it be my will, but may your will be done. I submit Jesus Christ put himself underneath God the Father's plan. And if you don't see it in that passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. What did Jesus Christ do? He humbled himself and he put himself underneath the authority of God the Father to be an example for those of us that call ourselves believers. Because Jesus Christ humbled himself and he went and he died on the cross and was buried and rose again from the dead. Now we can be saved. And Jesus had submitted himself to the Father's plan. And now he's been exalted to the highest position, placed at the right hand of the Father. And he says that he's been given the name which is above every name. That every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's what? He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we choose to submit ourselves to those that God puts in authority over us, we are choosing the characteristic that makes us more like Jesus Christ. We need more men and women that will model character in the world that we live in. Our children need to learn to respect authority. Parents need to model it. We need to be more like Jesus Christ instead of rebelling against those that God's put in authority over us. You're like, well, I've read a story here this week that I thought was actually a great illustration of what I'm trying to teach. Many of you might uh, have heard of Ravi Zacharias. He was diagnosed this week with bone cancer. But he just wrote uh, in, in a book that I read not too long back. It's called, Can Man Live Without God? There's a great story that's inside this book. It's a story about uh, what happened in the church in Yugoslavia. The church in Yugoslavia was being run by the government. They were actually empowering corrupt officials to run the government. It had a devastating effect on the, the believers inside the, the country of Yugoslavia. There was a man uh, by the name of Jakov who was a, uh, he was a, an evangelist that was there in Yugoslavia. And he would go from different cities and he would begin to share the gospel with people. He went to one specific city there and as he shared the gospel with him, that man, uh, there was a man there by the name of Zimmerman that interrupted him and told him, he said, I want nothing to do with the gospel. He said, we've seen what's happened in Christianity in our country. We've seen the terrible history, how they've taken advantage of people, how they've killed innocent people. And he named the fact that his nephew had been killed by people that quote, unquote, called themselves Christians. Jacob wanted to change his thinking, so he used an illustration with him. Jacob told Zimmerman, he said, I want you to imagine, what if a man came and he stole your coat from you, and he went into a bank and he robbed the bank, and when the police showed up, uh, you got away, but, uh, but uh, the only thing that the police officers saw was that he was wearing that coat. Well, imagine if the police officers came and they knocked on your door and they said that, they, that you were the one that robbed the bank. He said, well, I would tell them that they robbed my coat. He said, yeah, but you're the one wearing the coat. Obviously, it would have had to have been you. He said, no, they, they stole my coat. It wasn't theirs. And immediately, Zimmerman, he understood what he was talking about. But he wanted nothing to do with the gospel. So week by week, he watched as Jacob would come to his city, and he would minister to the, these corrupt officials that were in his town. He noticed how he would be submissive, how he would show respect towards them even though they weren't good people. He saw saw how he would help the needy, how he would live his life loving other people that were in the community. And immediately Zimmerman one day came to Jacob and he he said, I wanna know how can I trust Christ as my savior? How can I be saved? And that day Zimmerman got down on his knees and he prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save him. And what he said to Jacob was this, He said, I want to thank you for being in my life and seeing how you ministered to these people that were not good people in our society. He said, I want to tell you that what brought me to the gospel is that I saw that you wear his coat well. Can I tell you this morning, my concern for us in the days that we're living in as believers in our society my prayer is that us as believers that we would wear Jesus Christ's coat well. We wouldn't be living in a spirit of fear, but we would be living in a state of trusting God in the middle of tough circumstances. The world we live in is living in fear. The world that we're living in doesn't have a future. They don't even know if they'll even end up going to heaven. They have no idea of what will happen to them. They're lost. They're apart from the gospel. We need to wear Jesus Christ's coat well. Allow people to see what it's like to be a believer in tough circumstances. Folks, we need to lean on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And folks, allow others to see Jesus Christ in us. Wear his coat well. All right, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, what we preach this morning is its not an easy topic for what we're going through these days. Let me ask you, do you feel that you're, you're representing Jesus Christ well? Are you wearing his coat well?